Well, on the Virtual Bible Study tonight, we're going to talk about some lessons from the parables. Yeah, uh, I think this is something we've never talked about, Jacob, on the Virtual Bible Study in 15 years worth of programming. We've never drawn lessons from the parables of Jesus, and they are some awesome lessons. We're just going to pick out a few tonight and talk about them. All right, it's going to be a good discussion. We're getting started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. We welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, June 24th, 2021. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Good to be with you. Kyle's behind the controls. Glad you're here, Kyle. It's good to be here. And glad that we're in your capable hands tonight. We're glad that you're listening, and we want to hear from you. You can make the program better if you join in the discussion, sign in the chat room, and comment with other listeners. Or send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. That email address is open anytime you want to use that to contact us. It doesn't matter when you listen to this program or when you might want to reach out. Questions at collegeview.com or 877-381-4567 is a toll-free number to use if you'd like to hear your, have your voice heard on the program tonight. Yeah. Uh, remember our offer of bumper stickers, a new stock of bumper stickers in? I got a request after last week's oh, you did. Uh, 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 program, and so got that in the mail. We'll get one in the mail to you. Absolutely free, and you can help us advertise the Virtual Bible Study. And they work. And they work. We talked about that. And we also would like to get you, if you do such things, I'm not a big social media person, uh, about the only thing I do on Facebook is to put the update for the Virtual Bible Study on there every week. But uh, if you are a Facebook uh, aficionado and you know how to like and share and all that stuff, do that about the Virtual Bible Study. That'll help us get the word out, too. All right. And share that, maybe share that that program idea, that program, the topic uh, yeah. on a weekly basis. Yeah. Share with your friends. Uh, the program's better the more that we have here, the more comments that we have. And so help us get the word out and uh, help the program grow. Okay. All right. All right. So earlier today to our update list, we always remind you, get on our list. If you're not, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Just say, add me to the list. We will. And you'll get an update about midday on Thursday. We'll tell you what our topic is going to be. Ask for uh, you to start sending in feedback if you like. So to our update list today, we we picked out six parables of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we're just going to see what lessons we can get okay. from them. Okay. Uh, number one. The building a tower and or preparing to go to battle from Luke 14. Okay. Number two, the good Samaritan. Number three, the unmerciful servant. Number four, which is kind of an interesting one, sometimes difficult to explain, the dishonest steward. Mm-hmm. Uh, number five, the talents. And number six, the rich man and Lazarus. And when we're going to get, when we get to that one, we're going to be discussing whether that really is even a parable. Yeah, or not. I saw you threw that in there with a the list of parables. So we'll talk about that. And and so we might put out a poll on, to our chat room uh, participants tonight. We've got several in there already. We need more. Send us a response. Tell us. And when we get to the, to the discussion of that at the end of the program, 
Do you think the story of the rich man and Lazarus is a parable or a a real actual thing? Not a story, but an actuality, a real historical event. And does it matter? Well, that does, well, I don't know that we, it matters, but we'll talk, talk about, about that when we get to it. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll look forward to that, that this discussion. We look forward to you joining in. And we've already had some listeners who have sent in their emails. We're appreciative of those. We'd like to hear from you on the program tonight. Maybe as we go along, you could just send in a quick uh, one-sentence answer to these questions. What kind of lessons do you learn from the various parables we're talking about? Yeah, and, and we'll, we've got our uh, inbox open, and we'll monitor it if you want to send a, a, an email. And by the way, before we go further, we just got uh, just got a sad email from, from Steve uh, in Iowa who tells us that Harv Rary has passed away. Harv is the guy who's been doing the little spots for us uh, on, on each of our programs the last few months. We've got a lot more of his recordings that we'll be using in the future, but uh, we just learned just five minutes ago that Harv Rary passed away, and we're sorry to hear that yeah, news. Very, very sorry. We appreciated him. Uh, so sad news there. All right, so let's start out with the first parable. Uh, when Jesus spoke about, he compared uh, something to building a tower or preparing for battle. In Luke chapter 14, uh, Jesus had just taught that you're going to have to make a sacrifice to be his servant. In Luke chapter 14, uh, there went a great multitude with him, and he turned and said to them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children, brethren, sister, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, so it's in the context of saying that big crowds were following him. And Jesus seems to be offering a warning. If you're going to come after me, you better be prepared to make a significant sacrifice. You may be alienated from all your family. You may even lose your life. You're certainly going to have to bear a cross if you're going to follow me. And then he taught these parables. For which of you intending to build a tower says not down first and counteth the cost, whether he has sufficient to finish it? Lest haply after he hath laid the foundation is not able to finish it. All that behold it begin to mock him, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. So those two parables, I think we have typically summarized as Jesus saying, you need to count the cost. Before you commit to being a disciple of the Lord, know that it's going to cost you. Just like, you know, you wouldn't start, well, we don't build towers too much these days, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't set out to start building a house and, and you, you get, you just barely get started and you're out of money. Yeah. And I tell you. With the lumber prices that they've been lately, that would be pretty easy. To, yeah. You know, I, got, I got half a wall built, and I'm out of money. Yeah. But, you know, before I even started, I should have said, well, with lumber costs like they are today, I'm not sure I can afford it. Yeah. Or I'm going to have to really downsize it. Yeah. But you would count the cost before you started building the house. That's what Jesus is saying here. But the application to it is count the cost of discipleship. 
You know, one of the applications that we need to make is, uh, you know, we look for people that we want to, as potential converts, we're looking for folks who w- wouldn't have to change much. You know, they're pretty, we think they're pretty good already. And uh, we're trying to sell, you know, being a Christian will be easy. No, it's going to cost you everything you got. Yeah, exactly right. I, I really, really hate to hear that one. I've heard people say, you know, that guy wouldn't have to change anything. He just needs to be baptized. Yeah. No, he has to change everything. That's right. He's got to change his whole life. Yeah. He's got to commit his life to the Lord. He might got to make a total commitment. You know, so, uh, and, and, you know, one of the things I try to convey to people, especially uh, just earlier this week, we had two young people here at College View who were baptized, and I spoke with them. And I always try, especially with young people, but really with everybody, I try to get them to understand that you're making a commitment. This is not just one one act at one point in time when you when you become a christian you are making a commitment that endures the rest of your life on earth yeah you you have to live for the lord and what i also try to stress to them is actually you're making a promise to god Uh, you know uh, to these two young people who were baptized earlier this week i said you know I don't like it when somebody makes a promise to me and then they don't keep their promise. That kind of frustrates me. I, I, that irritates me. If someone promises me something and then doesn't fulfill their promise, I think God looks at it that way too. Yeah. And so if we're committing to him, promising to him, and we don't follow through, that's not a good thing. Count the cost. Kent in <laughs> Calhoun, Georgia, says following Christ requires strong conviction, even to the point where our love for him surpasses family members. Total commitment to the point of a willingness to be to sacrifice. The need for complete devotion, developing and maintaining only the best qualities of life. And finally, the need to count the cost before engaging in the work. Yeah. And I, and I really do think that's important. And actually, this is one of the reasons why I think it's we have to be careful about encouraging very young children to become Christians because... I'm not sure that they're able to understand that counting the cost principle. Now, they're going to reach that point at some point in their adolescence. But I think it's it's a it's a hard thing for a very young child to be able to accurately count the cost of discipleship. Absolutely. Uh, Dwight sent in his comment. Dwight and Michelle out names. I in the chat room tonight. Here's their email. He says the cost of discipleship comes at a great cost. We need to realize what we are getting into along with the consequences of failure. We need to understand also that the Lord comes first in all aspects of life, including putting God ahead of family and friends. First Corinthians six, verse 20 says, for you bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We were, were bought with the blood of Jesus, and we cannot take lightly, uh, uh, and we cannot take lightly our life as a Christian. Thank you, Dwight, for that. I think comment. That's right. Jim is up in uh, Kentucky tonight, and he says, "I believe the essential lesson is preparedness of thinking of what needs to be done and how to plan for it. Rushing in without ever, without thinking never works. Wisdom dictates considering a sol- situation and how to prepare yourself to successfully complete it." I think that's right. And finally, Grant uh, has commented tonight. He says, Jesus taught that we must count the cost if we wish to be his disciples. Am I willing to deny myself? Am I willing to abide by his teachings? Am I willing to follow him to the end? Good questions, and we need to be considering those before we begin that road. You know, really, this is a sign of... So to our kids, one one of the things we want to teach them as they're growing up is to sort of see the end from the beginning. You know, consider 
all that's involved in the decision you're making. Yep. So, you know, uh, Jacob, you've got kids playing softball and baseball. Yep. And so th- they got to realize that if they're going to play softball and baseball, there's probably some other things they're not going to get to do this summer because they're going to be spending a lot of time in softball and baseball. So now are you sure you want to do that? You know, we talk, we set our kids down and say, are you sure this is what you want? We're not going to start it unless we finish it. Yeah, if we're going to start, we got to get, we got to finish it. Now, are you sure you want to commit to this? That's, that's part of the growing up process. That's what we do with, with kids. Well, uh, Christians need to be sort of babes in Christ need to be brought along that way too. Understanding that if you start this, it's not just starting that counts, it's finishing. You've got to see it through to the end count the cost. That's clearly what the, those parables of the tower and the king going to battle, clearly what those, and, and when you, when you know, a lot of times when you're studying the parables, if you read what Jesus was talking about just before the parable, and then probably read what he said right when the parable ended, you get the point. All right. Uh, Eric's in the chat room. He's cast his vote on your question about the rich man and Lazarus. Is it a parable or is it a true story? And he's put in his uh, comments there. What, we want yours as well. Maybe sign in the chat room during this break and send those comments in. We're going to get a break, and we'll be back right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Here's a quick thought. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes. James 4.14 Our life is a vapor. The older we get, the more we realize it. Let's make every day count, redeeming the time. May God teach us to number our days. Redeeming the time while we have it. Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Human beings, who are unique in their ability to learn from the experience of others, are also remarkable for their apparent disinclination to do so. Some folks are wise and some are otherwise. Wisdom is knowing what to do next. Virtue is doing it. The great use of life is to spend it for that which will outlast it. Man, wish I'd said that. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. We're back on the program tonight as we look at the parables of Jesus and lessons we can learn from them. Uh, Grant and Janie have put in their comments on the parable or the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Yeah, get your vote in. We're getting some response in the chat room, and we want everybody to give us your give us your vote, and we'll t- we'll tally the results when we get to 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 our discussion and, of this. And we don't we don't conclude uh, what's true and what's not by a vote. Now, some some we're taking some, a poll. Some, some no, religious no, groups yeah, do. We're, we're going to run this like politicians. It's whatever the polls indicate. Well, some religious groups do that. You know, we're going to vote on what we should do or what's the right. No, we just want your comments, your feedback as to what you believe about that and uh, and the reasoning behind it. Um, so we're not determining anything by a popular consensus yeah. here. Yeah, that's right. All right. So we're keeping the we're keeping the vote count going. So. Uh, uh, okay, I got two more here. Yeah, Dwight and Michelle. Dwight and Michelle are in there. So we got, they didn't. They, they're signed in together, but they're commenting separately. Like right? Grant Janey did, I think. Too. Grant and well, that, that yeah. was a we there. So there yeah, you got yeah, two yeah. there. Yeah, okay. Okay. All right. So let's go to the parable of the good Samaritan. Uh, 
Now, again, I think it's always helpful to kind of read the context that that leads to Jesus teaching the parable. You know, Jesus was asked often asked questions, was in various teaching situations. Jesus was the master teacher. And so when he taught in parables, he was dealing with a fundamental truth. And that's what that's why we, we said that our lesson tonight is the essential lessons from the parables. Jesus was talking about essential things. But in using parables, Jesus was able to do it in a way that, man, it really registers with us. It sticks in our minds. And even people who don't know anything about the Bible know about the Good Samaritan, or they know they know the concept of the Good Samaritan. You know, some states even have Good Samaritan laws. If you see somebody in trouble, you're supposed to stop and help them. Uh, so, you know, the thing about here, Jesus told a story to, to emphasize an answer he'd given to a man, and and yet that the, the the story of the Great Samaritan has lasted famously for two thousand years. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, so let's, let's look look at the, look at what led up to this. Uh, in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, behold, a certain lawyer. Now the lawyer, there would be a, a, a person who was skilled in the law of Moses. You know, when you he read wasn't a courtroom kind of, guy. yeah, he, he wasn't a trial lawyer. He yeah. was, a, he was a lawyer. who was skilled in knowing what the law of Moses taught. Mm-hmm. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up, tempted him saying, master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So he wasn't, you get the idea. He wasn't really being sincere because it says he was trying to tempt Jesus. He's trying to trap him. He, uh, Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How readest thou? He answering said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And Jesus said to him, thou hast answered right. This do, thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Yeah. So he gave the right answer. You, you got to love the Lord, and you got to love your neighbors yourself. Jesus said, that's right. You answered right. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, but and just to just trying to sort of justify himself and plainly says he wanted to justify himself. Well, exactly. Tell me who my neighbor is. So I, t- so I know who I have to love. And then Jesus told the story of the good Samaritan. Jesus answered to him. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave to him. Uh, excuse me, I gave them to the host and said to him, take care of him and whatsoever thou spendest more. When I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, he that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus to him, go and do thou likewise. So again, the context tells us why Jesus told that famous story. The famous story was meant to emphasize or to actually answer the question, who is my neighbor? My neighbor is anybody that I might have an opportunity to be of assistance to yeah, and be merciful to. All right. Well, here's what Kent said. The aspect of individual responsibility. Number two, the recognition we are not required to live next door to those who are our neighbors. Number three, the fact that we must exercise our individual obligations regardless if others refuse to accept theirs. And number three, 
the need for understanding that we should be willing to sacrifice for the good of others, even if there's no way that we will receive personal benefit in return from such. I think Kent must have preached a sermon on this at some point because he got some really good points there. Uh, I really like his point there that we need to do our part even if others are not doing theirs. The priest and the Levite didn't do what they should have done. Uh, And the Good Samaritan could have easily excused himself. Well, there's other people here. Other people can take care of that guy. Other people who probably even more closely related to him than I am, people who have more kinship with him than I do, they, they can help him. I don't have to help him. You know, we could, we, we've talked a lot about the sort of ethnic animosity that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. Uh, I think that's probably almost certainly what Jesus chose to use a Samaritan as the one who stepped forward to, to do the help. But yeah. I like Kent's point. We need to do what's right whether other people are doing it or not. Yeah. And we need to be willing to sacrifice to help others. And that's a, that's a lesson much needed in our day and time. We live in a time of abundance. We're not called upon much to really sacrifice to help others. We might help others, but you know, it doesn't really take a dent out of our budget. We, you know, we're, we're, we're in pretty good shape. Even if we have helped a little somebody else, the good Samaritan, sacrifice and and he was a samaritan i think the lesson here is for us that we don't have some kind of religious pedigree that uh, exempts us from from serving others you know the 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 jews there would have thought well we're so far superior than the samaritan that he was the one who was willing to to make that sacrifice and we need to never think that we're better than than serving our fellow man dwight in, in iowa says to be a good samaritan one must have the interest of others well-being whether spiritual or physical we may have to go out of our way to, have to and our comfort, or our comfort zone to help others at times. It may even be that it may cost us something, but look at Jesus. His love for mankind cost him his life. Thank you for that, Dwight. Jim in Kentucky says, I believe the essential lesson is compassion. Second to that is sacrifice. Neither the Levite nor the priest had compassion, and they certainly lacked the willingness to sacrifice. But the Samaritan had both these essential qualities. Both these qualities are needed to faithfully reach the lost with the gospel. And then uh, then, uh, Grant in uh, Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, Christians must have a compassionate heart. The point is not who deserves our help, but who needs our help. Number two, be uh, as you wish men to do you, do so to them. And number three, the circle of the Christian's responsibility is the world. Jesus' story of the Samaritan fixes attention on my obligation to all men. Thank you, Dwight. Good observation. You know, I, uh, uh, I like what Grant said there. This is really an, an illustration of Jesus' principle taught in Matthew 7, verse 12. Uh, we sort of paraphrase it, do unto others as you'd have others do unto you. Don't, uh, you know, and it's, it's not do unto others as you imagine they would do if the tables were turned. Uh, yeah, you, you know, so the Samaritan said, you know, that guy over there is a Jew. And if, if the tables were turned and I was the one laying in the ditch, nearly dead, he wouldn't lift a finger to help right. me. Yep. And that being the case, I'm not going to help him either. Yep. I mean, he could have easily rationalized that, yep. but he didn't. And Many so I, would. Many would. So I think I, uh, I think Grant's point there, uh, as you wish men to do to you, do to, to them. And, and, and the parable of the Good Samaritan really 
illustrates that. You got four more uh, comments in the chat room on your question. I got. I've, I've got my tally sheet running. All right. So far, uh, well, there's. It's sort of leaning one way. What do you think? Well, is is so again? We're we're asking for a poll. If you're in the chat room and haven't given us your response yet, response yet, tell us you think it is a parable. The good. Oh, we're talking about the rich man and Lazarus. At the that will be our last thing to discuss in our program tonight. Do you think that ca- qualifies as a parable, or do you think it's a real true story? You can answer with one word, parable or real. Just yeah. put that in the chat room. Yeah. Let us know your thoughts. Is, uh, and, and listen, we're not we're going to come out of this, and we're not going to have a definitive answer one way or the other, so you, you don't have to worry about being wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. we can't. We won't be able to say you're wrong one yeah, way or the other. That's right. All right, so the next parable, we've got just a minute here before our break. Uh, the next parable is the one, is the parable of the unmerciful servant. I tell you, man, this one, this is, this is, uh, this one really mashes on your toes uh, because this really, this, this really pictures us, I think, too often. Matthew 18, beginning at verse 20, uh, 21. So again, here's, here's the context. Here's what leads to this story. Matthew 18, verse 21, Peter came to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus said to him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. And so, you know, so the context is forgiveness, willingness to forgive. Verse 23, therefore, there's the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children, all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Now stop there for a minute. It's kind of interesting to do a little calculating about the 10,000 talents. It's sometimes a little bit hard to get an accurate handle on monetary amounts back then compared to modern day monetary amounts this rank it it doesn't even say whether they were talents of gold or talents of silver but this ranks in the multi millions of dollars that this guy owed his master you, you know you wonder how in the world did he ever get into that kind of debt well that's missing the point jesus is i would actually say this is sort of Hyperbole. Jesus is intending to show that this guy owed so much that there's no way in the world that he could ever possibly pay it back. Yeah. So he, he he owed like so. Just figure multi millions he owed. He said, "Give me time and I'll pay it back." He couldn't. No matter how much time he had, if he had a lifetime, he could never pay it back. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, so the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. But he would not, and went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Stop there for a minute. A pence, I'm reading the King James Version, a pence or a penny, newer version will say denarius. That's what a working man earned for a day's worth of labor. You earned a penny, you earned a denarius, you worked a day. He owed a hundred pence. He owed a he owed a hundred days of work. 
He uh, so if he worked six days a week, he owed what? Uh, you know, maybe maybe four or five months. You know, uh, less than a half a year's wages he owed this guy. He potentially could pay this off. It'd be tough, I think, but he potentially could pay it off. It's, it's within the realm of possibility. Yep. Yep. And he says, "Just give me time, I'll pay you." And the, the first guy, who had already been forgiven of something he himself could never repay, says, "Absolutely not." He had him thrown in jail. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told their, their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said to him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due him. How long is he going to be with the tormentors? Forever. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Yeah. Pretty, I mean, that that parable just, I mean, it jumps off the page. It's so easy to see that one. Absolutely. Um, Kent in Georgia says, uh, we learned that we must have the willingness to forgive others without limit when they meet God's conditions in order to be forgiven. Number two, if we do not have the same willingness to forgive others as demonstrated by God, we will not be forgiven of our sins against him. And number three, that we desire to forgive others. Okay, I, let's stop there for a minute. I think Kent is exactly right. You know, one of the things that might be misapplied by this, by the use of this parable is the idea of unconditional or unilateral forgiveness. You know, uh, uh, we have talked about this on the virtual Bible study before. We may need to do it again because it's an ever increasingly popular view that if someone has wronged me, I just forgive them. They haven't sought my forgiveness. They haven't repented of the wrong that they did. I'm just supposed to forgive unilaterally. And some might try to use this parable to, to make that point. I think I think it's not in this parable. I, I like what Kent says. We uh, uh, we should forgive without limit when they meet God's conditions in order to be forgiven. I think yeah. that's a really important observation. Yeah. Dwight uh, says, uh, learning and practicing forgiveness is part of discipleship. Romans 3, verse 23 states that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, yet with a penitent heart and repenting, the Lord forgives us. So much can be learned through these parables of forgiveness is not always an easy value to have all the time. Without forgiveness, we will not be forgiven. Matthew six fourteen to 15 says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive their tr- trespasses, Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. That sort of summarizes the parable, doesn't it? Yeah. We also need to remember forgiveness comes on the after side of repentance, Luke 17, verse 3. Take heed to yourselves if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Exactly. And Jim uh, says, I would say the essential lesson in this parable deals with forgiveness, as that is the reason stated in verse 21 that our Lord presented it. But again, in order to provide forgiveness, we must have compassion, a trait that the unmerciful servant lacked. Yeah, because that's what the master asked him. Shouldest thou not have have also had compassion on thy fellow servant? You know, when we consider the fact that we have needed to be forgiven so much by God, and really also that we've had to be forgiven so much by other fellow humans, yep. I've had to be forgiven so much. Can I not be open to the possibility of forgiving someone else? Well, that goes along with what Grant said. He said, if a man receives pardon from God, he has the obligation to extend pardon to his brother. So Grant says we can have this 
if this attitude if we realize how much pardon we've received. Exactly right. All right. Um, well, there, the, the comments on the rich man and Lazarus are still coming in strong. And if you haven't chimed in, we have some listeners who haven't yet. Sign in and let us know. Real story? Or a parable. We'll get to that at the end of the program. And we're going to get this week's bullet point. And when we get back, oh, this one might scratch. We might scratch our head a little bit on this one. The dishonest. Yeah, dishonest steward. That's a tough one. All right, here we go. We're going to get a break. We'll back right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. This is Greg Wynn with this week's bullet point. Theft prevention experts now believe that those loud noise-producing alarms on cars are ineffective. In fact, they claim that installing one of those devices on your car is a waste of time and money. But why? Do they fail too often in actual use? No. Do the sirens, bells, and horns fail to make a sufficient level of noise? No. Well, then, what's the problem? The problem is that there are now so many of the alarms, and so many of them are accidentally set off, that no one pays any attention to them anymore. How often have you heard one of those and thought to yourself, Oh, that's just another one of those silly alarms going off. Nothing to worry about. I sure hope the poor fellow finds out before his battery runs down. It is very much like the little boy who cried wolf. After a number of false alarms, no one is ready to respond when a real situation develops. We were thinking that there may be a spiritual lesson here for us. God's Word is full of warnings and admonitions. It instructs us in the ways that we should go, and it plainly cautions about sin and its consequences. Preachers, teachers, elders, and faithful Christians are in the business of sounding out these warnings for their own sakes and for the benefit of all others. However, when these warnings are consistently ignored, they begin to lose their effectiveness. People begin to think, don't worry about that. That's just the preacher doing his thing. No reason to get so upset about it. Hebrews 3 verse 13 cautions us about the deceitfulness of sin and warns us about letting our hearts become hardened. Pay attention to the alarms. Your soul is in danger. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm Kate, and I'm three years old, and this is the Virtual Bible Study. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the Virtual Bible Study. We're back on the program tonight. Uh, Kyle, I do it every week. Can you tell us who, who brings us this program every week? Brought to you by the Virtual Bible uh, College of Church. Of well, you got it. There you go. But, but now, don't do what Kyle just almost did there. Don't confuse. There's two different sources here. Uh, there's a commonality between us. But the, the program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. But we've got a separate stream and a separate YouTube channel for College View Church of Christ, and it's called College View Live Stream. Yeah. We've got sermons there. We've got Bible classes there. Lots of video content on the YouTube channel, College View Live Stream. This channel is the Virtual Bible Study, and uh, this is where you find, obviously, all the archives, videos of the Virtual Bible Study. So two channels, lots of content. Yeah. Thanks, Kyle, for helping me out there. Yeah. And, and <laughs> Kyle is, the, Kyle is the, the, the master videographer for all of that. The master is the right term to to use about it. Yeah, it looks great, and uh, appreciate uh, all of that work. And we appreciate you listening tonight. And we're talking about parables from Jesus and lessons that we can learn from them. As you mentioned, these stories are so memorable, and the lessons are so hard to uh, to miss. Uh, really it drives it home to us uh, the things that we need to learn here. All right. So the next one I chose this one because I think it's a little bit of a challenging parable to explain 
maybe a little maybe he might be the most difficult of the parables of Jesus to explain but I think we can get it but it, it is maybe not quite as drop dead easy as some of the others all right hit me with it all right so in Luke chapter 16 beginning verse 1 he said also to his disciples there was a certain rich man which had a steward and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods and he called him and said to him how is it that I hear this of thee Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig. To beg I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him, and said to the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, and sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then said he to another, And how much owest thou? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, and write fourscore. And the Lord commended the unjust steward, because he had done wisely, for the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Uh, I say to you, Jesus says, I say to you, Make it to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fall, fail, they may receive you into the everlasting habitation. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in that which is much. And he that is unjust uh, in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For you hate the one, love the other, or else you hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Oh, boy. All right, so the story told uh, uh, is pretty easy to to uh, picture. Here's this guy, and he he has he he's been in charge of this man's affairs, mm-hmm. but he hasn't he hasn't been honest. He's mm-hmm. been dishonest. Yep. Uh, uh, he wasted his goods, uh, Jesus says in the parable. So he's going to lose his job. So what he does is he goes to the people who owed his master money or goods and uh, commodities. How much do you owe? The first guy owed a hundred measures of oil. He says, "Give me your, take your bill and write, scratch that out. Make 50 instead of a hundred. And the next guy he says, how much do you owe? And he said that he owed a hundred measures of wheat. He says, scratch it out, make it 80. Mm-hmm. And the master comes back to him. Apparently, the master found out. Obviously, the master found out that he had been doing this. In other words, writing down the bills, lowering the, the amount owed. And uh, he he said he commended him because he had done wisely. In other words, you know, you, you, he could have been mad because he's cheating him out of more money. But he says, you've done wisely. I think the key to the parable is the last part of verse 8. The children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. So here's the way I would paraphrase that. In regards to the things that worldly people are interested in, in regards to the things that are priorities to them, they they are wiser and more dedicated in the pursuit of the things that are important to them than the children of light. Oh, we're the children of light. They're wiser than God's people are in pursuing the things that are supposed to be important to us. So 
you know, here's a guy and his, his top priority is to get ahead in his career. He commits himself a hundred percent. He works tirelessly to advance himself up the corporate ladder. He works harder at pursuing his corporate advancement than we do in securing our eternal salvation in heaven. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the point Jesus is making there. The people of the world will do what it takes to get what they want. We need to be as wise as them in regards to what we want. We want to serve God faithfully and gain heaven as our eternal home. And and that, that we need to we need to be as wise and committed in pursuit of our values as worldly people are in the pursuit of their values. Well, here's what um, Kent said. This Stuart was unjust in that he did not conform to a correct standard. He had a problem with honesty and integrity. His dishonesty caught up with him in that he was reported to his employer. He had to give an account of his actions. He approached some of his employer's creditors, reducing their indebtedness and obligating them to himself. Although this was an unrighteous move on the steward's part, the employer made a limited but valuable application of the situation. The steward used what was at his disposal to prepare for his future welfare. These principles do not endorse dishonesty. The parable only illustrates the need of of usage of the temporal to prepare for eternity. Okay. I do think that last part of those statements, you know, uh, where it talks about... uh, Make friends to yourself of the mam, uh, of the mammon of unrighteousness that when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. I think that's the idea here. The parable, Kent says the parable illustrates the need of usage of the temporal to prepare for eternity. Okay. Dwight says one of the main things I see here is in verse two, the manager had to give account of his management. We too will have to give an account for, of our lives to the Lord on the day of judgment. Romans 14, verse 12 says, so to then each of us shall give an account to himself so, to God. So Dwight's really focusing on the idea that he, he got caught. He's coming. And he yeah. got caught and he got judged for what he did. There you go. Uh, Jim says, I would say the essential, uh, say, I, I believe this lesson is similar to one in Luke 16 in that it deals with faithfulness. Two of these servants wanted to do their best. Oh, but, sorry. No, 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 no. I would say the essential lesson is about faithfulness. This steward was not faithful to his master, which is why the master called him to give an account of his actions. Our Lord's comment in verse 13 tends to suggest the idea of faithfulness and recognizing that I must make a choice who I'm going to serve. The servant could not be faithful to his Lord, but being selfish, he was faithful to his own needs. The Lord, I think, is telling us to make a choice, choose who we'll be faithful to, because if we're not faithful to him, we must depend upon the people of the world. Okay. All right. And um, Grant says, um, Christians bestow less pains to win heaven than the children of this world bestow to win earth. That is that they are less prudent in heavenly things than those who in, are in earthly. Uh, that the world is better served by its servants than God is by His. I think so, and he, I think he's quoting Trench. Actually, Trench, yeah, yeah, okay. uh, yeah, good, good point. Thank you. So I think we're on that one. That's that's a tougher parable. You know, I actually f- I find the verses following the story about the mammon of unrighteousness and so, so forth to be a little harder in application than, than the parable itself. I think verse 8 there, when Jesus says, the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. I think that's the key to me to understanding that parable. In other words, the people of this world in pursuit of what they want work harder and more devotedly than we do in the pursuit of what we claim to want. Yeah. Uh, and, and what we're actually doing, uh, what they were, they were actually, uh, you, when you dabble in, 
little religion and a little or a lot of worldliness, you end up uh, being foolish as well. The, the the servants of this world are they're not they're not dabbling in any religion. And, you know, they're going they're going headlong after they want. They're full speed ahead. Yeah. Toward yeah. what they want, yeah. Brian in California says Christians need to be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves in this life. We've been equipped to excel still more in matters of righteousness and godly living. Hard work and ingenuity are noble traits. Okay, good. Thanks for those comments, Brian. Good to hear from you. All right. All right, we need to get a break, and then uh, when we, we get back, we'll go two quick. more. And this good. is your last call. Chime in in the chat room, real or parable, the, the rich man and Lazarus account in Luke 16. Is it a real story? Is it a parable? And, uh, well, there's no right or wrong answer on that one. Just let us know what you think. And maybe if you get a chance, give us some reasoning behind it. We'll get a break and go to the top of the hour right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. Misconception number 22. The folks at the College of Church of Christ don't like music. Some people say this, but it's simply not true. The fact is we love music and use it as often as we can in worship. Granted, we don't have pianos, organs, guitars, or drums, and we can't explain that if you would like. But we do have music, good music. You ought to come and be a part of it sometime. You may have been misled about us. Why not come and learn the truth about the College of Church of Christ this Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m.? Remember, the truth will set you free. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Surveys indicate that at the peak of the COVID pandemic in January of 2021, in-person attendance at church services had fallen by 60% compared to January of the preceding year. This means that for every 10 people attending in person the prior year, only four were attending in person in January of 2021. Some estimates predicted that roughly 20 to 30% of church members would not return to church after the pandemic. Accordingly, in May of 2021, attendance had risen to only 57% of the pre-pandemic crowd. That information is via Christianity Today. The Word of God says in 2 Samuel 22, beginning verse 2, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the program tonight, going to the top of the hour, talking about Jesus' parables and the lessons we learned from them. Um, and uh, we've got two more to go, the parable of the talents. All right. I think, again, these are really famous parables. And I think everybody knows the, the parable of the talents. Uh, and, and it's a longer parable. We will not take time to read all of the, the, the parable of the talents. But you remember, the kingdom of heaven is at, by the way, and this will go to the points that we want to make about the about rich man and Lazarus. Notice how that starts. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man who, uh, traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. So it's not, you know, there's there's sort of a trigger phrase that starts most of the parables, either at the start or at the end, or sometimes at both. You get you get an idea that that he's telling a parable by the way he he starts into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so he calls three servants. He's going to travel away. He's going to be gone. He calls his servants to deliver his goods. He gives five talents to one, two talents to another, and one talent to the third. Uh, and it says there in verse 15, he gave to every man according to his several ability and straightway took his journey. So he understood 
by the way, although we often try to apply this parable to the idea of my talents, my abilities, the word talent, we understand, was, was a measure of money. Again, here it doesn't say whether they were talents of gold or talents of silver. But, you know, five, two, one, you think well, that's insignificant. No, if, if for instance, especially if they were talents of gold, a talent by conservative estimates is 75 pounds. Mm-hmm. And so 75 pounds of gold is a lot of money times five. And so he, he entrusted to that five-talent man a lot. Mm-hmm. But also, even to the one-talent man, he entrusted a considerable amount of money. And so they were to, to oversee his money uh, while he was gone. So when he returned, we know the story, the five-talent man came in with the original five talents, and he had earned five. Mm-hmm. The two-talent man came in with the two talents, and he had earned two more. The one-talent man, though, uh, says in verse 24, he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. And lo, here, thou hast that is thine. His Lord said to him, thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received my own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it to him that hath ten talents, and so on it goes. It's a couple of things. It's interesting, we didn't read it all. But the Lord commended the five-talent man, who made him a whole bunch of money. But he offered exactly the same commendation to the two-talent man who hadn't made him half as much. But he used his abilities, and 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 he he, he made a, a a profit for his master. And he was, but he was commanded. They they were given the money based upon their abilities. The five-talent man used his abilities faithfully. The two-talent man used his abilities faithfully. The one-talent man did not, and he was condemned. Well, let's see what our listeners had to say about that. Kent, all individuals have some form of talent, Kent said. All do not have the same talents or equal amounts. So so everybody has some form of ability. Yeah. Ability plus opportunity equals responsibility. Faithfulness will be rewarded. One must never blame others for personal disobedience. Because that's what the one-talent man tried to do. He tried to shift blame. Oh, the the reason I didn't do better is because you, Master, are a bad guy. Yeah. We must use our talents or we will lose them. Our lives on earth have eternal consequences. Eternal judgment will be on an individual, not collective basis. Yeah, the one-talent man could have said, well, listen, overall. You did pretty you, good. You, you think about it. You I mean, made you made seven additional talents. So so the guy doled out eight talents, mm-hmm. five, two, one. He doled out eight. He got the eight back, and he got seven more. He almost doubled his money. Yeah. And the one-talent man could have said, Hey, what are you griping about? You, you You've almost, been looking at the stock market lately? You did really good there, buddy. Yeah, you almost yeah. doubled it. No, he so. was still condemned, no matter what anybody else did. Yeah. Uh, when the Lord gave these talents, uh, Dwight said, uh, the five and uh, when, when the Lord gave these slaves the five and two talents, they knew they had what was expected of them, and they did what the master expected. The one talent man did not take into account the consequences of not using what the Lord gave him. We, too... If we're not good stewards of our talents in our lives, we'll be the one as this one talent worthless slave cast into outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thank you, Dwight. Jim says uh, the lesson here 
uh, is similar to the one in Luke 16 in that it deals with faithfulness. Two of these servants wanted to do their best in serving their master, and the one who failed uh, did so because he did not want to serve. He sought excuses to do his work, and that is what cost him. The Lord knows our hearts, and he knows whether we or not we are uh, playing about being his or truly working at being his. The amount of the talent we have is not what is important, but obviously what are we willing to do with it. Yeah. And uh, Grant says, we will be commended by being faithful in the service of our Lord, by doing our best with the abilities we possess. Right. All right. I think all of those observations are exactly spot on. You know, I think all of us say, I'm not as talented as a lot of other people I know. I, I don't have as much ability as a lot of other people I know. But we got to be careful to just say, since I'm not, I don't have the same abilities that others have. Therefore, I'm not going to do anything with what ability I do have. That We cannot do that. Or maybe we're really talented, and we maybe we're the five-talent man, and we do as much as the one-talent man, and we still look like we're doing something, but we're not doing all that we could. We're not, uh, we're not being as diligent in our service to the Lord as we should. Uh, that, that we, we'd, we'd be just as uh, condemned as well. You know, maybe we're coasting because we have so many talents and we can still show some fruit, but we're not bearing all the fruit that we could. So, uh, so what you're saying is, what if the five talent man had only gained three? Yeah. What do you? What do He's you as good as the three talent man. Or, 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 or what? Or no, maybe to make it more applicable to the parable, what if the five talent man had only gained two, and the two talent man gained two? Would the five talent man have been committed? He made as much as the two talent man. Yep. But he didn't use his ability. He didn't. He didn't work as hard with with what he had right. as the two talent man did. Yep. So we got to work as hard as we can with what we've got. Uh, obviously, we understand that, and and the parable suggests that it's understood that people come in service with different levels of ability. That's fine. It's understandable. We're supposed to do the best we can with what we've got. Surely that comes true in that famous parable of the talents all right now on to the one we've been talking about tonight the rich man and lazarus how's your tally standing over okay, there okay let me see if i got any new votes i don't think so okay i got i got 10 votes for no it is not a parable it's a real story okay and only two votes for yes it's a parable all right here's some reasoning eric says not a parable story has an actual named character lazarus and most if not all of the parables are introduced as or called parable by name so eric says no other parable if this is a parable would have a named character uh and um and most all if not all are introduced as a parable and, and jesus gives some type of indicator that he's going to tell a parable Dwight and Michelle agree with Eric. And, um, and Brian does, too, although he doesn't like to have to admit that he agrees with Eric. Yeah, they can talk about that later, I guess. They're brothers. I, don't, I think, our, I think our, our regular listeners recognize Brian and Eric are brothers. Uh, and so Eric teasingly says he doesn't like to agree with Eric, but he said he agrees. Yep. And so the other sort of, uh, folks are chiming in, Sarah, Robert, uh, Grant, and Janie. Uh, Rick says, I tend to believe it is a true account. Uh, it is interesting that Jesus didn't begin this as he did the parables, uh, is, and with the phrase is like and to, he just states it is a fact or an actual occurrence. I've always emphasized it doesn't make any difference whether it's a parable or actual occurrence. It teaches truth no matter which it is. And I agree with uh, Rick on that. You know, the, the, uh, our Jehovah's Witness friends are the ones who really propagate this idea that it's a parable because they 
there are some facts in here that really give them a lot of grief. And if they can label them as a parable, I think they can just sort of negate what they teach. So, so yeah, I, I think that's really important. And really what I wanted to bring out in, in naming this story, I, I, I want to tell you, although I put it in this list of parables, I also agree that it is not a parable. At least at my, I lean strongly in the in the direction of that it's not a parable. But I have had discussions with Jehovah's Witnesses. Because Jehovah's Witnesses teach that there's no conscious existence beyond the grave. Uh, the, the story of the rich man and Lazarus clearly shows that there is a conscious existence beyond the grave. Yeah. And so when you use that story... To, in your studies with the Jehovah's Witnesses, they will come, because I've had them do it multiple times, they'll come, well, that's just a parable. Well, I'm not even willing to argue that point. If it is or it isn't, is Jesus, is Jesus, gonna, is he lying when he tells the, the story? Is, 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 is he conveying a non-truth, a false truth, a, a false concept? By tell, if it is a parable, is he using something that's not true in the story? You know, it, it's it's it, it, a parable uses real life events to draw a parallel application. Yeah. Take the parable of the sower. He he's planting seed. Jesus didn't say the sower went forth and he threw rocks all over the place and up comes some grain uh, when it fell on the good ground. No, you have to use real life facts to draw a parallel. If it is a parable. Jesus would not be using facts that weren't real to draw a conclusion. Exactly. Uh, Nick in the chat room says, Abraham is mentioned by name and he is real. So there's no reason to believe that Jesus is speaking of a real Lazarus, not, uh, not speaking of a real Lazarus and a ri- real rich man, uh, though even though the rich man is not named. Yeah. So again, agreed. Uh, but so, again, it doesn't matter. But, uh, but, but a couple things, you know, we said a minute ago. The, the parables have these sort of trigger phrases at the start and sometimes at the end that let you know it's a parable. This one doesn't. This story does not have those trigger expressions. And as several pointed out, people are specifically mentioned by name, which does not exist in any other parable. Uh, you know, for instance, notably Lazarus is named. Abraham is named. Notably Lazarus is named. That doesn't happen in any other parable. So it's if it's a parable, it's different from any other. I think it's probably not a parable. And, uh, Kent, uh, in his answer, said, I do not believe this is a parable. Nothing in the context would limit the story as to being a parable. It certainly does not fit the parable patterns used by Christ in his teachings. Parable do, parables do not name specific individuals as found in this story, where Lazarus, as a real person, is specifically identified by name. However, if I'm incorrect in my conclusion, the facts remain. The fact remains that parables are for illustrative purposes. The lessons presented are always true to life, and the principles stand as illustrating truth. In this story, we note the reality of death in the intermediate state and/or condition that follows death. There are either conscience is either conscious rest or for, and comfort for the righteous, or, and torment for the wicked. The importance and reality of personal accountability is taught. And uh, finally, that that one's eternal destiny is sealed at death. Thank uh, you, Kent. Dwight says, the rich man apparently thought of himself and his riches. He was buried in the end and went to Hades and was in torment. It was too late for him. He could not even have his thirst quenched. It was past time to make things right. He took that to the grave with him. The poor man was found in uh, Abraham's bosom. Notice the kindness and severity of God. Romans 7, verse 12. Uh, so uh, he says... Be careful lest you be cut off 
Okay. Yep. And Jim says, uh, the lesson here, like the Good Samaritan, deals with compassion, mercy, and sacrifice. The rich man could have easily helped Lazarus, but the Levite and the priest nope, yeah. passed by on the other side and ignored the uh, needs of Lazarus at his gate. Um, so he, so he's yeah, saying like that the, the rich like man the was like the Levite, Levite and the priest in the story of the Good Samaritan. Yeah, he said, uh, Jim goes on, I'm struck by the number of times Luke deals with money, rich, financial riches, etc. I recently presented a lesson from Acts on God's view of money by going through and looking at good and bad things that were done in Acts with regards to finances, sharing, etc. Luke in his gospel likewise highlights the subject, the call of Levi the publican, the creditor with two debtors, the Good Samaritan, the rich fool, the woman with ten pieces of silver, the prodigal. Uh, the unfaithful steward, the rich man, the rich young ruler, Zacchaeus, the chief publican, the widow's mites, and the question of paying tribute to Caesar. So much teaching dealing with money and, or finances or wealth. One has to wonder if the problems we deal with today have been around for centuries. Thank uh, you, Jim. Yeah, good, good observations there. Grant says this may not be a parable, and I agree. But he says death does not destroy our consciousness, our identity, our memory, our destiny. We can be condemned because of indifference or selfish, our selfishness and our disregard of the written word. You know, that's kind of interesting because it doesn't say that the rich man did anything directly wrong. He just, he didn't do good. So you could say, well, he went to hell because he, he committed this, this, this offense. No, he apparently went to hell because he didn't do good. Mm-hmm. Not because he specifically did bad, but because he neglected to do good and there's one more lesson we learn here you know a lot of people talk about well i'd like some kind of special experience uh, some kind of uh something something to, i'd like to experience something to know what i ought to do and you know the remember the rich man wanted uh, lazarus to go back and talk to his brothers and try and tell, tell them to change their life and jesus said uh or abraham said to him if they hear not moses and the prophets neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead well, these people weren't going to be persuaded when Jesus rose from the dead, and nor will we uh, uh, if we're holding out for some kind of experience to try and give us the faith that we need. I think we learned from this story that uh, that, that won't cut it. We have what we need to have, to have the faith in order to be pleasing to God. It's in his word. We need to study it and apply it in our lives. Exactly right. All right. We're way out of time. We are way out of time. Kyle, uh, comments from you tonight? It's a great study. I think it's the... Which the rich man Lazarus? It's a great story, parable or not. Which I don't. I tend to think it's not a parable, but it's a very good. It's a good thing we need to keep in mind about you know where we're going to go after we die. We're going to a place of torment if Jesus does not come back well before we pass. But it's a good thing to keep in mind. It is, uh, Kyle. We uh, we tend to take things for granted, mm-hmm. and we need to always be working towards that day. Kyle, appreciate you being here and helping us tonight. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, had a good discussion. Good comments from our listeners. Yeah, tonight. very good. Uh, the chat room was very busy. We appreciate that. And we appreciate you taking time to be a part of the program, and we hope you benefit from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College 
College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.